Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I think that sort of speaking to your audience or still trying to figure out exactly what they want to do, the biggest piece of advice I can give there is self-discovery is an active process, not a passive one. You you learn what you like and what you want to do and what you enjoy and what you're good at by actually doing things. It's not about sitting in your room and noodling over what might be good or what might be fun. You have to actually get out there and do it. There's a quote I love about this from Michelangelo, the painter, sculptor, whatever. Renaissance painter and sculptor. Oh, that Sistine Chapel guy? Yeah, that Sistine Chapel yeah, guy. You know, he's pretty him. obscure. Maybe he, we don't know uh, him. <laughs> to his own brothers, man. All right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, but but so Michael has this great quote where I'm paraphrasing here, but someone asked him like, "How do you know what the? How do you how do you make these beautiful sculptures? How do you how do you create? How do you know what to make?" And he goes, "Well, I just look at the marble and I chip away everything that's not the sculpture, right?" And he, but the the important thing here is that he's not staring at the marble. And trying to figure out what's inside of the marble he's attacking it with a hammer and a chisel and trying to figure out what's inside and i think that's sort of an important idea how you day how you day those are the voices of kennedy and coleman two hilarious twins who basically are on the quest to show people how to balance trying new things and living on a routine but they also talk about what they believe is the missing productivity hack for global citizens and how to deal with jet lag, how to work out while you're on the road. They have an interest in philosophy and fitness. Some of you might not agree. Some of you might agree. But what I liked about them is that they were not afraid to give you the reasoning as to why they think the way they think about fitness. As co-founders of a lifestyle company, there's definitely a lot of benefit to be gained from what they're doing. So you should definitely check it out. I'm going to put a link to their book in the show notes as well as their blog. And I can't wait to hear what your thoughts are. I'm sure that they are definitely going to stir up some opinions in you. One more thing before we get to the episode. I'm hosting a masterclass, a huge masterclass on public speaking. It's going to be December 15th. And I'll put the link in the show notes as well. But the masterclass is not only for people that can make it to New York City. It's also virtual. The people that can't make it to New York City will get a course of what exactly it takes to build a paid speaking career. In the masterclass, I'll be covering everything from figuring out how to uncover your idea, how to present on stage, how to storytell, how to pitch, and what you need to look for whenever you are trying to leverage your audience into more consistent paid gigs. It's something I'm excited for, something a lot of you have asked for, so look out for that in the show notes. It's an in-person event as well as a virtual event. So looking forward to seeing some of you there and looking forward to meeting some of you virtually and teaching you that way as well. Check it out and enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today I am with 
twins, Kennedy and Coleman Collins. They are brothers who help ambitious professionals with their health and productivity. As certified fitness professionals and full-time tech workers, they are unlikely, no, uniquely suited to helping people perform <laughs> at the highest levels. As long as I can read bios right, I'll be, I'll be okay. But one day, <laughs> I'll be better about that. Um, they're currently working on the Road Warriors, uh, on the Road Warrior, rather, which is a book and a blog designed to help consultants and other business travelers stay healthy and sane on the road. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. This is going to be fun distinguishing between your voices. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> but uh, why don't you, uh, you both get started by, by telling us how, um, what it was like growing up initially. I mean, but you said both of you are, you know, full-time tech workers, but were you yeah. always into the same I'm gonna, things? I'm going to spoil something. The first about 18 years of this story are going to be very similar. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. So we grew up in central Florida in Tampa. And uh, from a very, very young age, we were sort of into computers. Uh, literally, I mean, this is, I think this is sort of a common story, right? People, we, we had our, our parents, we were lucky enough that we each had our own computer in our bedroom. And that really sort of kicked everything off, I think. I think by the age of like 12 or 13. Um, and then there's, there's a funny story, too. Our, our stepfather won a contest at Circuit City, which is a company that doesn't exist anymore. But he won like 20 grand in store credit. And so by the time we were like 15 we each had our own mac laptops and like proper little tech setups and so from there it sort of went went into it and then and then also from the whole basically all growing up for a long time we were very into sports we uh were rowers in high school we also there was an abortive attempt at diving which was not great but <laughs> i did it anyway and then so yeah and, and so growing up we were sort of very into computers and also sort of very into fitness and, and I think everything sort of just led to it from that way. We both went to college at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, I studied architecture. Uh, Coleman studied, uh, Coleman studied graphic, graphic design, design and film theory. Yeah, there you go. I have a degree and, in movies, which I do uh, tell people sometimes, but only to win bar arguments. <laughs> well, well, well. So that's, like, that's the only utility of a degree in movies. So, so that's that's interesting for me. So, you the first eighteen years, Coleman, you were saying that was the spoiler mm-hmm. alert here. It was pretty. It was very similar. Um, yeah. And uh, you studied uh, film, Kennedy. You studied you studied the architecture. Yeah. How did you deviate from that? Because it doesn't sound like we you both, do those things right now. Yeah, so, we both sort of took our own path. Um, so I also have a I I got I had two concentrations. Uh, the other one was graphic design, and that was the one that I thought was going to sort of make me the money. And to the, to a degree, that is true, because uh, w- within sort of the large technology space, I primarily do like product design, front end um, uh, type work. And um, basically, yeah, I graduated with a degree in film theory and and making pictures watching pictures, making pictures, and uh, moved to New York without a job and just sort of figured it out for a while. And it seemed like all of the jobs were in technology. It just so happened that, you know, many years before I had figured out how to customize a MySpace page and how to uh, change the, you know, the low-level settings on my computer to, to do things that I wanted and, and had picked up a little bit of programming skill. And I just continued to lean farther and farther into that world because that's where the opportunities were. Uh, and then yeah, and I, I think my story is very similar, right? May I? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I just think that my story is very similar, right? To some extent, it feels like you could argue that it, it seems sort of like moving into tech and, and working as a product manager, which is what I do now, uh, is sort of the, the deviation. But in fact, I think five years of architecture school was the deviation, right? Wow. 
as a as a byproduct of that, I worked at I got a job, kind of probably what was that, a little over a year out of school. I got a job as like a, an associate, like the lowest level, um, at a, a boutique tech consultancy, and I worked there for almost five years, traveling full time, uh, and helping like big companies make their apps and websites because. Um, as it turns out, like grocery stores and air, airlines have surprisingly a surprising amount of technology needs, uh, and they are also surprisingly bad at filling them. So consultants, there you go. There you go. Uh, and, and that travel experience is what led to the the book and the blog and stuff, and and realizing that like, well, Kennedy, you had an experience like this that didn't involve travel. That's like where the own coach stuff came from, right? What do you mean? Oh, just just yeah. So I was just like uh, survival. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I out of school I. My story is like not so different, right? I, out of school, I graduated into the worst architecture market since the Great Depression, but wasn't actually that interested in doing the professional work of architecture. Architecture school and the practice of architecture are sort of very different things. And I really liked architecture school, but I wasn't actually that interested in practice. And so I ended up getting a job doing marketing at a startup um, and then started working for a different startup. And so for five years there or so myself, I was you know, working 60, 70 hours a week and just trying to stay sane. And, and that sort of, again, and then as people with sort of very strong sports backgrounds, we played rugby in college and, and continued to sort of stay very fit. We, um, we both sort of recognized and sort of learned ourselves how to sort of stay fit and stay sane and stay productive in sort of these high stress environments. And when I was leaving my last job and Colin was leaving his time at the consultancy, it all just sort of came together and we're like, why don't we just try and help people do this? Yeah, and here we are. Here we are. And uh, here we are. No, so it's I, before we dive into what you do right now, because I, I think it's amazing as well. I always we have a lot of listeners who are you know within the twenty one to thirty five range, and a lot of them are figuring out what it is they want to do and whether what they went to school sure. with is something they're going to apply. So I'm curious to hear from both of you if you have any transferable skills. Um, I, I've studied both of your, ironically, both of your fields from uh, just an outside view. Not actually, go, I didn't go to school for architecture or movies, but I'm a cinephile and I love the industry, but for mm-hmm. architecture, I just love the, I always, I use that when I speak a lot, I use the concepts of like creating the substructure, the design, the blueprint and all that. Sure. But I'm curious if you two found transferable skills from things you learned. Oh, I mean, oh, entirely. Absolutely. Okay. Go first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I say movies, but so my degree is actually in, in this pretty large program um, at Notre Dame called Film, Television, Theater. It's like all one major, and then you can specialize and sort of cross-specialize as you desire. And the thing actually I, I worked on through what my undergrad thesis was on, um, like my capstone project, like that big paper you have to write at the end of the, uh, your senior year, was actually about uh, transmedia theory and sort of uh, viewership theory and fan theory. And so what that stuff is, is basically it's a, it's a lot of different um, academic as well as less academic arguments around the idea that like you bring as much to the watching or read uh, or of a, a movie or reading of a comic book as the writers and the creators do, right? And so it, it, it begs this idea of creating a, a mental multiverse, right? You have to imagine yourself. Uh, you, as a, as a reader, imagine all of these different things. So the, the classic example is comic books and like the MCU stuff. Yeah. Lord, if the MCU stuff was around when I was writing, when I was still in school, I would have written about that. But it wasn't. So I wrote about Batman mostly. Right. And um, But it's the same idea, right? Like 
you have to consider this narrative and this world that is larger than one single text, one single uh, touch point, right? That's actually more or less identical to how you have to think about a modern digital brand. So you have to, basically, you're considering all of these different touch points, all of these different ways your customers are interacting with you across media, across uh, platforms, across needs and utility. Um, and you have to create a co cohesive narrative. And if you don't, they will, right? This is like the big thing. This is what I was writing about a lot of the time then because this is sort of pre-MCU, pre-people understanding the idea of the, quote, Marvel Cinematic Universe, this larger thing that is comprised of all of these different movies as well as these like comic spinoffs and video game spinoffs and what have you. Um, and in the case of DC comics, they actually did a really bad job of this. Um, in the comics itself, in this sort of horrible story called Crisis on Infinite Earths, it's a good story, but it's a bad attempt at solving the problem they were trying to solve, which is basically our fans have too much control over the history and sort of what's called canon of the situation. Um, and it's the same true thing with um, with sort of branding and with uh, sort of digital product design. If you don't sort of create this intentionally, very intentionally design this cross-platform, cross-media, cross-technology world for your customers, for your consumers, whether they are consuming stories or they're consuming, you know, the pants you make, whatever it happens to be, it's sort of, sort of DVNB, like digitally ver the Vertically integrated digital brands are a great example of this. They're very, very good at covering all the bases across these and building a very consistent story. So like Chubby's is a great example. Like whether you like their attitude or not and like sort of their shtick, they are very, very good at being so consistent about who they are and what they are, no matter where you're interacting with them online or even in there, they do like some fit shop stuff. So that's my big transferable skill rant. No, I love it. No, I love it. It, <laughs> does, it makes a lot of sense. What, I mean, real, real quick for you, what about you with the architecture? Yeah, so I mean, I work as a product manager largely, and the the process I, I say this a lot actually. The process that I learned in architecture of how you design and build a building is almost one for one transferable with software product product management. Right, the medium is different, but the process is identical. So with architecture, you you sit down with clients and customers, which are not, and then also users, which are not always the same thing. Right, the people who are using the building are not always the people who are um, paying for the building to be built. Uh, and in the same way, oftentimes products, you know, especially I worked for a media company for a while and as an advertising supported business, you know, you have sort of this, this conflict of needs between what the users want and what the advertisers want. Yeah. And you take that, you work to sort of frame that problem and frame their needs in a way that it can be solved well. And then you work to solve those needs and you work with subject matter professionals such as in architecture, uh, mechanical engineers and and. Uh, heating and cooling consultants and that kind of thing with uh, software. It's working with data scientists and UX designers and UI designers and that kind of thing. And you work to get a solution designed and then you actually have to get that solution built and you're managing the process of getting it built and making sure that it's coming out the way that it should be and making sure that it's actually solving the needs that customers have. Uh, and that process making changes on the fly, making yeah. changes on the fly when you have to uh, making calls then ultimately delivering that to the customer and making sure that it is what they need. Uh, with architecture, it's a little bit harder to change after you've delivered, but it's still possible with, uh, with software. It's much, much easier. But that yeah. basic process and those basic soft skills are basically identical. Uh, one other thing I will say, though, just about this whole sort of topic that we're talking about is you'll sort of notice in both of our stories that we both said we, we, we figured it out for a few years, right? And I think that sort of speaking to your audience or still trying to figure out exactly what they want to do, the biggest piece of advice I can give there is self-discovery is an active process, not a passive one.
you you learn what you like and what you want to do and what you enjoy and what you're good at by actually doing things. It's not about sitting in your room and noodling over what might be good or what might be fun. You have to actually get out there and do it. There's a quote I love about this from Michelangelo, the painter, sculptor, whatever. Renaissance painter and sculptor. Oh, that Sistine Chapel guy? Yeah, that Sistine Chapel yeah, guy. He's, you he's know pretty him. obscure. Maybe he, we don't know uh, him. <laughs> do us old brothers about him. All right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, but, but so my question is this great quote where I'm paraphrasing here, but someone asked him, like, how do you know what the, how do you, how do you make these beautiful sculptures? How do you, how do you create, how do you know what to make? And he goes, well, I just look at the marble and I chip away everything that's not the sculpture, right? And he, but the, the important thing here is that he's not staring at the marble and trying to figure out what's inside of the marble. He's attacking it with a hammer and a chisel and trying to figure out what's inside. And I think that's sort of an important idea anyway. Yes, the Sistine Chapel guy really had a lot of things. <laughs> and no, no, I, well, what a smart, smart guy. What a smart guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty smart guy. I think there's been a lot of books and movies about him. But um, no, I, 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 definitely, I definitely relate to, to that. I always study a lot of these, um, um, these greats, and they have a lot of things to do. Speaking of... Um, you know, figure things out. You eventually both figured it out and you launched your, your company where you help a lot of um, people deal with their fitness journeys. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you about is how to balance, you know, this idea of, of trying new things and living a routine. So sure. a lot of listeners, they might travel all the time, internationally, locally, or they're building consultants. How do you keep a healthy routine? I'll do this one. Yeah. So the... The thing, so the the kind of the dichotomy that you set up, right, around trying new things or or figuring out what's good for you and maintaining your routine, uh, you kind of set it up as an either or thing. And I actually think that it's not. It's it's pretty directly not. Hmm. So the the distinction there is like you think of either. Yeah, I mean, from a from a a, a base sense, it makes sense, right? You're either doing stuff the same way every day, or you're not, right? You have a routine, or you don't, but your life is not one big routine. It's actually a number of very, very small routines, right? It's, it's how you eat. It's how you eat lunch, where you eat lunch every day. It's how you, like, what you do right when you wake up. And the, the magic, the power of routine to me is that the stuff that you already have figured out or isn't important to you, which is also valid, uh, you shouldn't need to think about every day. You shouldn't need to make, make a novel choice every day. And we already do this, right? We do this in a lot of ways that we just don't think about. If you had to figure out how to turn on the light switch or how to walk around every day, uh, your life would be full of these, you know, all of that time spent just doing that, right? Yeah. Uh, but you don't because there's no super optimal way to turn on a light switch. You just turn on the damn light switch. Um, you're not figuring out a new way to do it and trying a new way to do it. And so your brain just like, yeah, we don't need to spend extra cycles walking you through this every time. You're just going to turn it on. You're not even going to think about it. The The thought that's going to go through your head is lights on, not hand wall switch up. Um, and in the same way, right, there are there are things that you should routinize, right? So like uh, eat the same breakfast every day is a super simple one, right? Find a good breakfast for you, whatever that means, depending on your own nutrition goals, uh, which could be for the record, like I don't eat breakfast at all. My answer is I don't eat breakfast. Same time, time, energy, and effort. Um, we can get into like the, there's also some interesting biological and biomechanical, biomechanical is not the right word, biological, uh, and nutritional stuff around, uh, skipping breakfast, but that's a really different conversation. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, we can get into it. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, I, I want to actually, I want both, both of your thoughts on this because 
Yeah, there is the concept, uh, the, 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 I guess the idea that breakfast is the most important meal. You say you skip it. And then. It's bullshit. Up, okay. Well, there you go. It's BS. It's bullshit. And, and then the, the other, the other concept is, um, this idea of people feel like, um, that they have to separate the health routine and going to work and stuff like that. Now, I, I've always been, you know, into fitness, so I've, I've always sort of figured it out. And I, but my habit is not something I can transfer to someone else because I, I have a bad habit of not sleeping. <laughs> so, so I just <laughs> sort of, I'm always that. So I always find time, but other people have legitimately come up to me and said that I, you know, I have 20, I have a 12 hour shift, come back, wake up 4 a.m., 12 hour shift. So it's, you know, there are a lot of excuses essentially. So I want both of you to tackle that, this, I guess, this BS motion that, that you said breakfast is, is not the sure. most important uh, meal. And then maybe just some practical tips on what people that are living that consultant jet lag life can actually do to make sure that they can actively implement that actionable tip. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the breakfast. Well, the background behind why that's, it's, it's garbage is that the studies that came out around that are basically poor correlative studies, right? I'm, I'm, a lot of people are familiar with the idea that correlation is not the same thing as causation, that just because two things are related doesn't mean that one causes the other. You can the drop studies, a map of the, um, the uh, what is it, the GDP of Taiwan over a map of Virginia, and they're almost identical. But that doesn't mean they're related. <laughs> yeah, there's a great website called Spur- at spuriouscorrelations.com, maybe, or if you Google spurious correlations, you'll find it. It's fantastic. But... Um, Point being, so the, the, the studies that most people are citing when they say breakfast is important are these correlative studies, right? And if you really sort of dig into the data, what it actually says is that people who are skipping breakfast are also more unhealthy. Now, that doesn't mean that skipping breakfast is unhealthy. In fact, it's sort of the opposite. What they were finding was a lot of time people were skipping sort of what you would think of as a traditional breakfast and then eating a bunch of garbage in the morning because they needed some calories, right? Stopping at McDonald's and getting a milkshake on the way to work or, or something like that rather than sort of eating something healthy and nutritious and good for your body. Which, again, those are a bunch of topics that we can, again, dig into because what that means is a whole other thing, but not... That's my too- big thing right now on, on health. Like, I, in the, like in just not lunchroom at my office right now, people are like, is that healthy? Is that healthy for you? Because I, I made the mistake of, like, doing... We do these, like, lunchtime talks, and I made the mistake of, like, doing one about sort of what my side gig is, what all this stuff is that I do after I go home. Like, is this healthy? Is this healthy for me? I was like, define your terms. Like, what do you mean by healthy? What are you trying to get out of it, right? Everything has an input and an output, and you need to, you have, you, you're optimizing against goals, right? Healthy for a competitive powerlifter is as many calories as possible, period. Healthy for someone who wants to live as long as possible is different. Uh, and then there's also confounding stuff around sort of what you're coming to. If you are, if you have metabolic disease, if you are um, pre-diabetic, then what is healthy to you is different than someone who is, you know, at the peak of uh, metabolic fitness and so on and so forth. Sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, No, it's fine. I mean, I was basically done with that. Uh, It's just, there's just no, there's no science that says that skipping breakfast is bad. There is science that says people who skip breakfast are generally unhealthier, but that's not the same thing at all. Mm, Yeah. um, You can't draw that, that parallel there. So this is, wow, you guys are blowing my mind here. So with this healthy thing, you, you hear the clean carbs, the, all that, you're saying that, the, you know, it's different. What about people that have all the, you know, heart, you know, history, heart disease and, and stuff? People say if you eat too much of like the fast food, it could clog up your arteries or, I mean, is that stuff not true? Or the Well, sweets? so like, I don't want to like lead you into this like belief of like nutritional nihilism where nothing, first of all, disclaimer, neither of us are physicians or dietitians. Gotcha. Um, we're just well-researched. Uh, I like to think smart people. Um, 
That said, uh, it's just a little disclaimer for you. Uh, <laughs> the, like the whole thing, like, yeah, I don't want to, like, I don't want to lead you down this path of like nihilism. Where, like nothing's true and anything is fine. That's not really true. Uh, we do know things. Like there are things we know. And like, for example, atherosclerotic, which is a hard word, atherosclerotic disease is real and is bad for you. And how you get it is basically, um, actually, I'm not even going to do that because I'm not positive. Uh, I don't want to say something that's wrong. Um, but like it's it's diet impacted. Like you, your diet is how you get atherosclerotic disease and just age. Um, and there are better and worse things to do with how you eat, right? But the like the baseline, the low level things, like what do we know to be true? Well, there's actually only a few of them. Um, we know that you need to basically uh, maintain, or you need to make sure that your pancreas works well. Uh, you need your insulinemic system to work well. That is uh, the system that produces insulin um, that helps your body utilize nutrients correctly. If it doesn't do that, then you're diabetic, right? Type one diabetics don't have effective cells to make insulin in the pancreas. Type 2 diabetics, what happens is they have used their pancreas so much that their body doesn't respond to insulin correctly anymore. Their muscle tissue doesn't. And this has two problems, um, or actually a bunch it's of It's almost problems. like, quickly, the type 2 diabetes is almost like it's the boy who cried wolf almost, right? It's The signal has been hit so many times that your body just stops responding to it. Uh, uh, and then all sorts of bad stuff happens uh and, and it's it's also once you start down that path it's much much harder to maintain a normal weight it's much much harder to utilize carbs correctly so when we hear this thing like oh yeah good carbs bad carbs clean carbs like ultimately what it comes down to is like how does it hit your insulin system but also how is your insulin system right because it's actually a two-factor thing in that regard so like we know that and we could get into that a lot or you could you know look it up on your own time so other things we know you have to get Adequate protein and adequate micronutrients, uh, and that's the easiest way to do that is to, like eat whole foods. Um, otherwise, you have to be sort of very controlled and intense about the supplements that you take, which I don't think is worth it from a time and effort perspective. But some people do. Like I think it's just easier to eat real food. But if you want to make mix up a rich nutrient goo and eat that all day, it would be totally possible. Okay. It'd just be kind of difficult. Uh, if Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you want to be a vegan, you could totally be a vegan. If you want to be a literally pure carnivore, you can do that given that some of these basic micronutrients, protein, and your insulinemic system are met, like the rest of it's kind of just details. Uh, and that's something that I think is hard to hear for a lot of people because nutrition and like eating well is such a dogmatic idea. It's like, no, I eat well because I, of whatever these things that I think is true without ever defining the terms. Like, what do you mean by healthy? What are you trying to get out of it? Is it longevity? Is it, you know, 
body composition? Is it uh, sports performance? For those three goals, your nutrition plan could and probably should look different. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think both of you proved my point here. But the reason why a lot of this stuff is contradictory because sometimes you actually do hear it from athletes, right? Or you hear it from yeah. like, like inspiration people. So it's very confusing yeah. when someone like there's done it looks the way he or she looks and performs right. at a high level. Says, you know, get off your butt and stop eating that. So you know, that's <laughs> oh, legit. Man. They're saying I've done it. I used to be, you know, fight, and yeah. they legitimately show you the before and after. And I stopped that. So. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, you can see yeah, how absolutely. that. absolutely. Yeah, dude, Tom Brady has no clue why he's the best quarterback in the world. Do not you, listen you, to him. You coming at Tom Brady now, man? Coming at the GOAT? <laughs> I like Tom Brady. No, he's, he's a, a great, great quarterback. <laughs> okay, no, 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 no I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just, just messing with you. <laughs> it, dude, it's, it's, so it's, it's literally it's shooting an arrow and then painting a target around it. It's like I, through some random uh, group of factors, including you know genetic superiority and – just like a bunch of happenstance, happen to be the best quarterback maybe ever. Hmm. Uh, by my system where you can be like me. It's like bullshit, and you don't know why you're like you. No one knows why you're like <laughs> you. We have some ideas, but it's not repl- replicable in that way. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I, I, no, no, I mean, this is good. I, I think I'm sure that a lot of people that are going to be listening to this, and I love the fact that you're sticking with this opinion because I, I think that's sort of – we live in this world where people are almost programmed to sort of believe what they hear, and both of you – you're not nihilist, but you're challenging status quo, well, and, you, and you have the, the, your, your stuff. Sorry, go ahead. The thing about fitness that I think a lot of people don't realize, that I think if, if you can take one thing away from this, this is it, right? There are a few things that are universally true. Almost everything else is context-specific, and it depends on what you're trying to do, what your life looks like, what your schedule looks like, and a ton of other things, what is going to be useful and good for you, right? I, I, think, the same through, the same, I think the same thing is true of business, actually, right? There are a few pieces of doctrine that are actually useful across all times and types of business. And a lot of the other things are people saying, here's what worked for me. It's a universal truth and it's just not. And it, and this happens, I think, in business. This happens in fitness. This happens in a lot of sort of things that we think of as, as big, sort of basically anything that a big self-help industry exists around, I would argue, uh, often has this problem where my, my system is the system. No, it's a system that worked for you. And some of that is true and some of that is universally true. And most of it is just context specific, right? It worked for you because you are you with your skills and your interests and your goals and also at a certain time at a certain place. And, you know, what we're trying to do largely is to, well, okay, maybe this speaks to sort of how we approach, because Cole and I believe both believe this, right? Is that me saying yes? Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> that's you saying yes. <laughs> And so when we initially sort of started our business, we were trying to solve every context for every person and trying to figure out each individual person, right? We sort of moved away from that to some extent and moved into helping business travelers, both because it's a market we understand and because business travelers, their context is all the same, right? We can speak specifically to what is useful and good for business travelers in a specific way and not feel weird about saying this is the right way or this is the wrong way or have to write 30,000 word articles about like eat this much protein if you're like this or this much protein like that. We focus on business travelers because their circumstances are the same and therefore we can give advice that is right. useful, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I look, first of all, one of the first rules of business is you know, you're both, you both, you're owning a, a niche of markets and you understand that. And the difference between you and other fitness um, enthusiasts is that you actually, you have your, your market, you've identified the problem. And if you want to actually be successful at, at 
identifying a problem and making sure that you're positioning yourself as the expert is making sure you're able to get people from a current um, situation to a desired destination. And so it's, I definitely agree with you. It's been perfect that you, you've, you've um, helped out with that market because that, that is, I, you know, I talked to a lot of people that identify with several cultures. It is um, somewhat my business. And one of the number, sure. <laughs> one of the number one questions I get asked is, is that idea of fitness. And, and there, there are things, there are varying, various uh, factors. There's, you know, I'm in a new country, it's a new food. Um, I don't know how to get access to this, or I'm vegan or vegetarian. What can I, you know, there, there are all these mm-hmm. dietary things. And then how do I figure out where to work from home, work out from home or find a gym? And so it is definitely, definitely something that, that that's, that's needed. So it leads me to the, the, this question here. Um, I, you know, I was doing some research on you two and both of you said a couple of things. You said it's important to build the right habits. Um, mm-hmm. that's critical to stick into a fitness routine. And then you, you also said when changing your diet, you need to add before you subtract. Can you explain both? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I'll do the add before I subtract one. Cause I, I didn't realize that was like, that idea was associated with us and I really love that idea. So I'm all about that. Um, <laughs> so you have to add before you subtract. What does that mean? Well, when you change the way you eat for whatever reason, um, the, the default position that most people think is, well, there are some things that I'm eating that aren't the best for me for whatever reason. I'm eating too much on the whole or I'm eating unhealthy things that, you know, without getting into that rant that I did before about what that actually means, mm-hmm. sort of defining your terms, I'm, I'm trying to excise some things from my diet. I'm probably also trying to add some other things to my diet, right? Some more green vegetables, some more, you know, fish, whatever. Um, both of which would be great things to add to almost any diet because uh, omega-3s are necessary and, and the micronutrients from green vegetables are also very necessary for life and, and not just life but sort of thriving productivity. Uh, so most people, what do they do? Well, they just get rid of this, the bad stuff first. That's what they do. They're like, well, I can't eat this and I can't eat that and, and so I'm just going to not eat any of this stuff. And then they're miserable and they want some of that stuff and they quit two weeks later and then, you know, we never hear from them again. Hmm. Uh, the, the, Greek, the word diet comes from the Greek word dieta, which means way of life. Uh, a diet is not something that you're supposed to have for a temporary, like a short amount of time as a respite from your normal ways. It is supposed to be just the thing you do. It's the way you act. And an additive approach is much, I think, more sustainable and long-term beneficial than a subtractive approach towards that. So, okay, instead of, you know, I'm not going to eat any junk food anymore, bullshit. Um, yes, you are. Uh, perhaps budget your junk food. Say, I'm only going to do this a certain amount of time a week and don't plan ahead against it. Just like, yeah, okay. You know, Don't feel bad about it. Just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to have some, some whatever my, my treat of choice is and then I'm going to try not to do that until next week sometime. And I don't care exactly when and I don't schedule it. You can schedule it if that's a thing that works for you. Tim Ferriss loves this idea of like the, the cheat Saturday, which I think works great for some people and for me. I am such a bottomless pit that if I do that, then I have completely ruined any sort of uh, progress or benefit for an entire week of good eating. So I can't do that. But some people it works for. But more generally, you have to add before you subtract. Because basically, okay, if I told you eat exactly how you're going to, but before you have anything, any of this like stuff that we think is maybe you should be reducing in the long term, I'm going to force you to have like three servings of broccoli and one serving of fish. You just have to do that every day. Well, by the time you get to the junk food, like... First of all, you're going to be fuller, and also you're not going to feel as restricted, right? Um, 
you're not going to feel like you're losing anything because you literally have to add things. Uh, so drink more water. Don't change anything about your diet. Just drink more water. Not only will this make you more hydrated, that whole thing about if you're hungry, drink some water, that is true to an extent. Um, they're, they are related, um, uh, hunger, uh, appetite, and, and hydration. But more generally, I have now given you a habit that you're thinking about all day to drink water, right? I have to drink water because I'm trying to eat well. Well, even if you're not intentionally restricting these other things, you're now thinking all the time about eating better. Um, and you don't feel restricted. You know that, oh, if the rules can say that, I, that I'm allowed to have this. It's like, but I, do I really need it right now? Right. So it's, it's just a mental shift that I think is much more beneficial um, to add things such as green vegetables, water, um, fish. Those are actually the three that I always go to. Enough protein. Um, rather yeah, than... And I think I am restricted, I am taking away, and I'm never going to get to have these things again. Like That's a horrible thought. It's also just not true. It's not realistic. Sorry, Kennedy, you were saying? Yeah. Well, no, I just to answer the second part of Tayo's question, I mean, I think that the second part of your question is basically the, the, the neurological habit-based explanation of, the first, of Coleman's answer, right? The reason why adding works so well from a routine perspective is that, I don't know if you've ever read The Power of Habit. It's a, it's a pretty good book. Yeah. Um, I think it's good. I think it lacks a lot of technical implement, implementation stuff. That's one of the things that we are kind of want to do. But um, the the one of the things that Charles Duhigg talks about in that book is that you can't uh, you cannot ever get rid of a habit, right? Once you start, uh, basically, once a habit starts, once a piece of automatic behavior that's a trigger, an action, and a reward starts. It's, it burns itself into your brain. That, that neurological connection is there and it doesn't go away. The way that you get around that is by overwriting that neurological connection, right? You, you can't get rid of habits. You can just overwrite them. And so additive, basically because it's so hard to get rid of habits, especially if you're not putting something in their place, uh, the additive process works really, really well. Because both the, first off, it creates new reactions to to the same triggers, right? So I'm hungry. What am I going to eat? Well, I have to eat this and I have to eat that before I can eat anything else. So we'll start there, right? Mm -hmm. That creates sort of a new routine based off that same trigger. At the same time, uh, you're sort of overriding this other habit, right? And you're not trying to force it out. You're not trying to, so you're not just white knuckling, don't do the thing, don't do the thing, don't do the thing that's already neurologically implanted in your brain you're saying, oh, well, I'll do this other thing instead. And that works really, really well from sort of our, our understanding, our current understanding of how habits work. Yeah, yeah. No, this, this, is, this is really good. I, I love how both of you took on that, that question. And it's, um, you know, you, you were talking about The Power of Habit, which is a book. And both of you are writing a book. So let's talk mm -hmm. about this book. Hey, industry, sure. industry folks, that's what you call a segue. But um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Excellent segue. <laughs> Thank you. Let's talk about your book and, and why, why it's something you're working on, why you feel like it's, um, it's maybe even actually fixing what the otherwise great book Power of Habit didn't necessarily have. Uh, well, why now? I think this, there's been a need for this book for a long time. It's, why now is just because I just got around to it, uh, <laughs> kind of. Um, and the specific habit thing is actually that's Kennedy's wheelhouse, and that's that's kind of the chapter that he wrote. It is in there. It's, we call it automate. Um, but the the larger thing is like this stuff was just sort of in my brain, and I needed it to be out of my brain to a certain extent. I I spent literally five years figuring this stuff out for myself and sharing it in very small ways. Like you know, I'd write up a Google document and send it to a friend. 
And then I'd find out six months later that that Google document had been shared with like a bunch of people in the company. And I was like, oh, interesting. That's that's what we in the industry call market research. That's what we call leading indicators. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, just, we're just dropping industry terms there. From segue to I'm just giving you a hard time, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. I realized that like there was actually a need for this, right? And that um, not only was there a need, I had spent all this time and effort and energy figuring it out for myself and doing all this research for myself because I'm that's just sort of the kind of weird nerd I am. Like I'll get on PubMed and read the read the actual studies and I'll read the books and I'll I'll do all the research. You know, when I when I decided that we were going to start a, a, a fitness company, what did I do? Well, I went and got like the most difficult fitness certification you could get just to prove to myself that I knew this stuff. Um, that's kind of the person I am, but. That that information doesn't do much benefit when it's just in my head. Um, so I felt like I needed to get it out, uh, and that's that's kind of what this book is about. It's like it's it is the compendium of the stuff that I learned over five years, uh, actually living this life, um, and hopefully that'll help some people live that life as well. It's kind of the the idea. Okay. Okay. And um, what about you? What are your thoughts on the Kennedy? Why, why are you writing? Yeah. The book so. Now? Yeah, and my role in this whole thing as well, and sort of the same thing is that I mean, I think this speaks to the the you know, Ohm Coach when we started initially, like I was saying, we were trying to solve every problem for everyone. And we we sort of narrowed that down to the business traveler subset, especially because of Coleman's expertise in it. And so I'm still sort of in the back of my mind thinking about all of this stuff. And I my expertise is more general, although I have a bit of a deeper expertise than Coleman in sort of the habit and routine stuff, and also some of the productivity stuff, not all of it, and also some of the like ergonomics, working in the same place everyday stuff. Uh, because of sort of the nature of business travel, oftentimes you can't deal with that. Um, that is something I'm I have a lot of expertise in because I was going into an office, the same office every day, and working sixty hours at it, right? And so we we sort of I was able to sort of help out and help supplement and help with my knowledge and sort of help this book as well and i think it's really exciting and, and i think long term we're hoping to sort of move into um the inverse of this where i'm writing a book with coleman uh, about sort of my experience and 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 health and productivity for people who work from home and who have control over their schedule but are working a lot and then ultimately sort of continuing to sort of help people as we can right yeah and so that's sort of why this, and, and we're sort of working through this one first because it was sort of the obvious opportunity to us. But I don't think this is the last thing we intend to do either. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I certainly hope not. I, I'm sure your parents would love for you to continue to work together. <laughs> um, our, our dad loves it. He just loves the idea every time I talk to him. Ah, there you go. There you go. I, we get frustrated by it most of the time. It's good, but not always. Who's 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 the uh, who's the most who's the more frustrating brother between the two of you? In your opinion, fr- I'm needier. Kennedy's less organized. Yeah, that's probably correct. Okay, okay. I, I always like We're to do this. I have two younger brothers, so I'm the oldest, yeah. and I, you know, we all grew up together. So it's always varying yeah. degrees. All right, but um, let's see. I, I, I wanted to, before before I wrap up here, um, I mm-hmm. wanted to sort of just give you a chance to talk about the remote coaching element and why it works so well for people, and then we can dive into the more fun aspects. In terms of sort of the remote coaching that we were doing with Elm Coach? Yeah, because, you know, I always test out the idea of uh, topics before I even interview people. And some people are like, well, remote coaching, how am I going to be motivated? Well, what? what? Sure. It's not physical. I'm not there. Am I, how is he, he going to know that I'm doing the work? So stuff like that. How, how does that, um, how have you found it working well for your clients? 
Yes, it works especially well for people who are business travelers or people who travel all the time. One of the things that we found is that a lot of business travelers want that sort of support or that coaching support. Um, but because they're traveling all the time, often to different cities and stuff, they can't sort of maintain that relationship. And so their options are basically they can go on Saturday in their limited time at home. They also want to spend with their friends and family. Or um, we can sort of approach it our way, which is you're never physically present, but that becomes sort of a benefit uh, as opposed to sort of a neutral or a downside for for a lot of our business travel clients. Additionally, we think sort of unsurprisingly, given what we've talked about already, that a lot of the stuff that we, uh, a lot of this stuff around health and fitness is in fact about habit and about routine and about figuring these things out. And meeting with someone three times a week for an hour is not actually a particularly good way to build a routine. Having someone who's in your pocket all the time and talking to you through with chat or text or voice occasionally is a much better way to sort of support that routine building. And that's also why we think it's really, really good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there you go. If you want to find out more about what Kennedy and Coleman are doing, they where can they find out your website and where can they find out more information about your book? Yeah. So right now we're focused on the book and on The Road Warrior. So you can read a lot of, we, we, we write about an article a week. They're usually pretty long, deep dives, two to 5,000 words. You can find that at roadwarrior.blog. Also, if you want to read more about the book, you can go to theroadwarriorbook.com. You can download two free chapters of the book, the introduction and a full chapter about how to deal with the physical act of flying, right? Gotcha. And how sort of to not be wrecked physically afterward, which I know I always am. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I mean, I actually fly a lot, so because I'm Superman is my cousin, and I'm the African Superman, so I'm <laughs> So I, I'm glad that someone's tackling that. Um, okay, so I'm going to do some sibling tag questions uh, rapidly before sure. we go. So uh, who's the oldest? I know you're twins, but who's the oldest? We don't know. Oh, Another what a question. You we don't, don't know? know. <laughs> yeah. No one Let's knew who came know. out first? <laughs> I mean, our mother knows. She won't tell us. Oh, I, you know what? I love you, mom. I, I think <laughs> I, that's kind of something that I would do. Okay. Who, what is your most memorable argument? Huh, Coleman? Uh, remember that time? Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't even, I don't, so the funny thing is, I don't remember the argument, but I remember the outcome. And it was when we were in that, um, in that writing group. And got in a fist fight in the library. Yes, I do. I don't even yeah. know why we fought, but we got in a fist fight in the library. It, and it right. was literally from the. Uh, I've been told by you know friends who were there from the outside. It was like I just asked him a question, and he just like took a swing at me, or maybe the other way around. I don't know who started it. <laughs> it's not fairly important. Um, oh, wow! Like, it it was like a build up from something much like that had been going on like all day, or maybe like for a week or a month or something. And it was just like that was the moment. It's like I'm. I'm done with this. Okay. And, then, uh, and we bam. <laughs> normally we're, we're so when we were teenagers, we like, like fought each other physically a lot. We don't really do that anymore. Um, but that was definitely a time in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Uh, okay. So, uh, describe each other in three words. It starts with you, Coleman, and then go to Kennedy. Oh, I don't know, man. Uh, I guess Ken- uh, Kennedy, I don't know. You're, you're indescribable. It's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> No, I can go first. I can go first. I think Coleman is, um, he's very conscientious. He is um, incredibly diligent. He works very hard. And he um, is incredibly empathetic in a way that I often don't think I am, right? This is why I think he's a good designer as well, is that he's able to sort of really get in people's heads. It's why a good coach as well, too. Get in people's heads and sort of really figure out what they need and what's going to help them. 
right. Oh, you had like a nice answer. I was just going to say like this fucking guy. Okay, great. Uh, cool. That's fine. No, we can do that. That's fine. <laughs> no, uh, oh, man. Well, it, it, it's okay if, if that's all you think of me, brother. I, I just I just think that you, you might both have to really talk about some other things if that's the thought. We might have to hash that out. No, have I'll another, have another right uh, fist fight. <laughs> I'm um, just trying to right now. I'll text him something very sweet later, but we won't record that. <laughs> no, sure. no problem. No problem. The last thing that I wanted to ask in terms of the Simtag question is, uh, in 10 years, where do, where do you want your brother to be? In terms of achievements and goals, what do you want people to be saying about him? And there's no out for this one because I'm sure both of you have good thoughts about each other. In that, what what would you like to see your brother be doing? What cover would you like to see him grace in? How would you like to see him uh, sure. achieve his dreams? So I think I don't know. Is there magazine covers? Uh, I think Coleman would be happiest so the short answer is whatever he would want to be happiest but i think that coleman's a big believer in craft and doing good work and i think that if anything coleman would want to be known for making something that's really really good and spending a lot of time diligently creating something that really helps people and not necessarily about that ego or anything but really be known for the work if that makes sense makes sense yeah makes sense i see that kennedy what about kennedy i mean coleman what Wait, I, I, now I'm confused. Is it, no, you, you got it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, come on. Wait, what so about Kennedy? Now, now Coleman will talk about Kennedy, and I will <laughs> yeah. say that um, uh, look on you works and mighty. So it's it's a it's a it's an adjacent thing, right? But I think as opposed to me, I think you're dead on Kennedy. Who who'd want to be known for the work? Kennedy would want to be known for the impact and the outcome, and mm-hmm. and that probably means running a big company or having something that has an out, a much outsized. Uh, impact to its size right not about the thing that was made but rather about what it's doing in the world um how it has changed an industry or how it has blown up overnight or how it has um you know so on and so forth gotcha well hey look these focuses are incidentally why we work well together (laughs) no it's it's like the yin and yang but i I always love having brothers and i've had brothers on a few times i like i said i have two younger brothers so this is always fun for me but um this has been this has been interesting I, i love the the conversations i love the uh challenges that you both have to the status goals um I think critical thinking is something that a lot of us don't get to do. And I think you challenge a lot of people to actually be critical thinkers about what they're putting into their bodies, but also why they think the way they think. So that's very important. Um, for those listening, The Road Warrior, I'll definitely make sure I put that in the, in the link. It's a book they're working on now. It's going to tackle a lot of what they said today, but also you know, help you take your level of building habit to uh, an, an even deeper level. And um, you know, my hope is that both of you do achieve what it is that you both want to achieve um and, and thank you very much yeah and and um hopefully there'll be less fist fights along the way but <laughs> uh last question is my mission statement and my mission statement the reason i do anything is is uh, this concept i call use your difference to make a difference right so i i always ask my guests that question as well how do you use your difference to make a difference starting with you coleman and then kennedy uh how do i use my difference to make a difference <gasps> Uh, I am writing a book about that. <laughs> that's maybe not a that's maybe not a great answer. It's okay. But literally, like the, if that's the reason it. the reason I the reason I'm writing this book is because like I didn't want this all the stuff I learned to live in my head anymore. I wanted it to be in the hands of other people where it can help them. That's a real answer. Okay. No, no, it's good. It's good. The 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 idea of using difference make difference is that it's it's your answer. You're unique. Then so if. If your book is solving that, then that's fine. I just didn't want it to feel like another plug. Uh, no, no, no. This, this is this is 
in this podcast, there's a lot of um, electricity needed, so you, you feel free to plug. That's a bad pun. Uh, that's a bad pun. Um, anyways, just go. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you? Um, how do I use my difference to make a difference? I don't know. I, I think I, I think I try and I think hopefully as evidence throughout this conversation, I try and not necessarily see things differently, but try and look at things in a different way and then try and communicate that. Right. And again, I, this is going to sound like a plug again, but I'm, I'm trying to do better. And this book is part of that effort. And the blog is part of that effort to, to sort of share the way I see things. And hopefully that helps people. Oh, no, no, the pleasure is mine. And, and thank you for saying that. But, um, yeah, don't feel guilty if you're plugging it because this podcast, <laughs> all, all these episodes that I always do, it, it's, it's never about, uh, it's me, it's about the message and where people can get more of that message. And both of you sure. have an important message. And so if you say maybe the fourth time you said it, someone actually said, all right, fine, I'm going to go subscribe to these guys. <laughs> sure. These two. All right. Um, well, thank you both for coming on and, and interviewing with me on a Sunday. I uh, really appreciate the dedication. Definitely can't wait for this episode to come out, but uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, hearing both of you banter and talk about the importance of the work you do. All right. Appreciate Thanks, it man. so much. All right. The pleasure's mine. Ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.